could tell by our Facebook thing, it's going to get a little edgy tonight. So I'm just going to talk about Republicans the whole time. No, I'm not. <laughs> Anarchy, that's right. Um, so what we're going to do is re- let's read this text together, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at uh, Christianity or Christians in the government and what is to be the response of Christians to government and all that sort of stuff. So let's uh, turn your attention to this passage. You may have the page number in the cheat Bibles. 657. 657. We're still there again and again and again. I guess when you do it this way, that's what happens. 657, beginning in verse 11. Here we go. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Let's pray and ask God to help us. God in heaven, I pray that you would send your spirit to open this passage uh, to our hearts and open our hearts to this passage. Meet us here. We come from different places, and that is beautiful. So I pray that you would meet us in the ways that we each uh, need that. And then unite us in the spirit of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been somewhere, an event or maybe a concert or some kind of thing where, you know, you're there and you're enjoying it. But it's obvious that the people around you, they have way more invested in this thing than you do. I mean, they're like at a Harry Potter premiere, you know, you have the people who dress up or whatever it may be. Um, and they're really, really, really into it. Like, if something goes wrong that night, their life may not be okay kind of thing. Um, I thought about the illustration of, let's say maybe one of your friend's parents owns something cool, like Celebration Station or something, you know, that has the go-karts and skee-ball and limited things. And so, for them, it's like no big deal. You know, they get to go whenever they want, get free tokens, and they get stuffed animals. They don't have to, like, spend $30 for them. It's just not a big deal. But for you... It's a big deal. And so whenever you go to their house, you're always kind of bugging them, being like, hey, can we go tonight? You know, can we talk to your parents? And so you're, you want to go and get as much out of that experience as you can because it's going to be free for that one night. My wife and I, uh, last fall, I guess it was, she has a, a cousin who's a movie star. He plays on the Twilight movies. And um, he also has a band on the side. He's Jasper, in case you're like, oh, my gosh, who is it? Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, he has a band they play on the side, and so they were playing at Kane's Ballroom uh, last fall, and we talked to him beforehand and had gotten him to, you know, set aside tickets at the front door. John, are you like, how? It's really affected you? <laughs> okay. Um, and so we had gotten tickets at the front door, and we went in, and it was fine. I mean, it wasn't like my favorite music in the world, but it was fine. It was cool. And, uh, but it was very apparent that there were people there that night who were really looking for this night to satisfy them in a very strange way. Um, Like, their heart's longings were being met as he was up on stage and, like, you know, doing his thing and sweats going off. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Uh, And there were not just a few of these people. There was a lot of these people. And so 
Sarah and I, we could kind of hang out in the back and enjoy it and think it was, some, some of it was kind of ridiculous, but it was a cool concert. But we knew in the back of our minds, a little bit like the kid whose dad owns that stuff, that we knew that we didn't have to like squeeze every bit of joy out of the concert because we were going to see him again. Like, we were going to see him at family gatherings. We were actually about to go backstage and hang out with him afterward. And so right when the concert was over and everybody rushed over to line up at the, at the uh, receiving line or the signature line, what do they call it? Not signature, autograph, they call them. Um, we kind of hung back and we just casually made our way to the front. Because we didn't have to squeeze every bit of life out of that. Well, Peter in this passage is writing to a group of Christians. And if you've been here, you know that by now. But he's writing them because he's about to start talking kind of crazy talk. Um, And Peter's writing to them and saying, and he reminds them in verse 11, he says, look, as sojourners and exiles. Now that's something that he had told them before. And what that means is as Christians, as he's writing these people, he's saying, look, as Christians, this earth is not your primary home. That you have another citizenship that, that is out there that exists, that is real, but that isn't felt right now. It's not where we're living right now, but he's saying that's real and it's coming. So as sojourners and exiles, you have to realize that you don't have to squeeze every bit of life out of this here and now. That the world that we live in now is inevitably going to let you down. And if you're a Christian tonight, the world that we live in is inevitably going to let us down in some way. And it probably already has in many ways. And Peter's writing them and reminding them and saying, okay, you are sojourners. You are pilgrims. This is a pilgrim land. This is not our destination. But that is coming. And so fix your eyes on that. And we've kind of been talking about that over the last few weeks. And so he reminds them of that. And he tells them in verse 16... He says, then live as people who are free, not because not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And what Peter's trying to get them to see and what he's going to try and get us to see tonight is that when you understand the freedom that comes through a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when you truly are realizing and living in the fact that we are exiles in this land then that frees us up not to go do whatever we want, but it frees us up to do something very radical, and that is submit to other people. And that is actually to lay down your life for other people and to follow human institutions even. And beginning tonight, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about several different human institutions that we're called to submit into and under. And tonight we start and we talk about the government. Okay? Before we get there, though, um, I want to, Peter kind of gives a little bit of, uh, kind of guidelines. He, he kind of sets the tone for what our attitude is even to be, if we're to be these people who are out submitting to other people. Realizing we don't have to squeeze every bit of life out of this. And so if you will, look down uh, in verse 11. Uh, Peter says, uh, he urges these Christians, and we're going to look first at the conduct of submission. And he urges them to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Okay, now most of us, if if you've grown up kind of in in religious circles or church circles at all, you think that I'm about to talk to you about sex or drinking or smoking or pornography or something like that. 
And to be honest, that may actually be some of the struggles that you're dealing with tonight. And so if that's it, let it be so. But the passions of the flesh are not just this small little list of pet sins that we kind of, you know, that are socially deviant and those sort of things. When Peter talks about the passions of the flesh, he's talking about something so much greater. That in the New Testament, when it talks about the flesh, when they use the word that Peter is using here, it's set in opposition to something called the soul or the spirit. And it's, it's often done this way. It talks about giving yourself over to your flesh as opposed to the spirit. And these, these things are set kind of in juxtaposition of each other. You think about it like this. God, what God would want you to do versus what Satan would want you to do. Right? The, the spirit versus the flesh. Or um, if you're a Christian, what's true of you is that you have an old sin nature that is still in you. It's still in there. But you also have what the Bible calls this this new life in Christ. And so literally inside of you is this war that is being waged inside of your mind and in your heart. And this is actually why some of you feel crazy. Why day in and day out you think that you are totally failing in this life as a Christian if you're a Christian. Because you wake up with these what you think are inordinate passions and desires. And yet you know you shouldn't do them, but sometimes you just give in to them, and so you just create this big guilt soup and this hot mess. And, and it makes us feel crazy. And we feel schizophrenic, like we have this alter ego and this alternate personality. But what Peter's saying is that's actually the true, that's actually true for the Christian experience. That we have both of these in us at the same, sign, at the same time. Okay? Now, um, what he tells us then, and what he's suggesting is, if your life is bound in Christ, if you are a pilgrim in this land, and therefore if you are free from sucking every last bit of joy and happiness out of this life, then you can actually be freed up to not indulge the passions of your flesh. That you don't have to give in to those. And furthermore, when you move out into the world and submit to the different things that he's going to talk about, it is actually good that you don't give over to those things. That your conduct is to be seen as honorable. And that, which really is a, the word in there is good or beautiful. That when people see the way you act, they're to see something beautiful about you. And in that, they're to see something beautiful about the one in whose kingdom, to whose kingdom you belong. Okay, so they'll see something of God Himself. So let's think very practically what some of these passions of the flesh may look like for us. Um, What it is, is any area, if you're a Christian, it's any area of your life that you aren't kind of letting Jesus be Lord of. That you're not letting, considering, you know, I wonder what Jesus would say about this. Or if I were to bring this in line with what Scripture says, I wonder what that would look like. And so let's take a couple. Let's take time. The way that that you spend your time. Because that's a pretty big deal in Scripture. And for us, I would suggest it's one of the most valuable things that as college students that you have because it's fixed. You only have so much of it. And there are so many different things that vie for that time. Think of your freshman year. That is the freshman year experience. I've got to figure out what to do with this time. Or actually my lack of it. 
Because there's 800 things that I want to do, and I can stay up until 4 a.m., but that doesn't work. But there's all these people I want to hang What do you do? And so as Christians, what do we do with our time? It would be completely possible, and I would even suggest that many of us really struggle with this, with just spending our time on things that are self-serving, on things that are for our own self-promotion even, or self-gratification. You can do all of these things, and this is a kind of a socially acceptable sin or, or passion of the flesh, because most likely no one is going to come around and tell you, hey, I think you're spending your time wrong. Unless you sit down with me and I say, I think you're spending your time wrong. Um, it's, it's very easy to do that. But what Peter's suggesting is, look, if you're freed up to not seek, to not squeeze every bit of life and joy out of, out of this life, then think about how you might live and give your time to other people. And how others might see that and see something of God Himself in the way that you listen to their problems at a very inconvenient time. Or the way that you stay up with them or drop by their apartment and talk to them or whatever it is. But what about, let's think about money also, because this is very practical. Most of us, this is a pretty fixed thing also. Some of us, it's more fixed than we'd want it to be. Um, How do you spend your money? Is it only on things that you have deemed that you want? Or maybe that you've said that you need, but you really know that's just a way of saying you want them? Or are you even now thinking about the things that you have and not saying you've got to squeeze every bit of life out of this, but rather opening up and saying, you know what, I wonder how I could love other people with this. I wonder how I could show something of God's selflessness to the people around me by giving of what I have. How would that show forth? How could that be beautiful where others would see that in you? What about the influence that you might have or the power that you may have, may have through an organization or through some sort of election that, uh, that's happened. And this you can even extrapolate beyond college. As a Christian, you may or likely will be at some point in your life be given to some position of power or authority in a company or in a, a civic organization or maybe in a church. And you'll be tempted to use that power and that influence to, get, to benefit yourself and for your own self-promotion so that others can see how put together you are, how on task you are, and how good of a leader you are, or whatever it is, wherever your temptation may lead you. But Scripture would call us to, to not just gratify our flesh in that way, but to think, you know, I wonder if, the God, if I really believe the gospel is true, that I didn't have to get everything out of this life, just squeeze it to death. I wonder how I could use my influence for God's glory so that others might see it as beautiful. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story where he's, uh, he's having a conversation with uh, a woman in his congregation. Those are two really big words that run. And um, he's talking to her kind of about her story and her background. And um, she had been on a project, been assigned to a project, and it, it royally flopped. Like, it just... It went south big time. And, the, and it kind of blew up and all of this um, peripheral damage happened, money loss and all of these things. Now, what happened is that this was something she could have and probably should have been fired over. In the financial world, you make big mistakes like that and you're gone. But what happened is that her boss, um, at his next meeting, 
um, he explained the situation with her. His next meeting with her, they kind of started talking about this. And he said, look, I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to take the fall for you. It's going to be my fault. I'm your manager. I, I let this go too far. When in reality, it was really her problem. He said, I'm going to take the fall for you. And he did. He actually had the capital and the, and the, the clout in that company where he could take the fall for her and he wasn't going to get fired. And so he did that and she looked at him, went to him afterwards. She let him do it. Um, and afterwards she went to him and said, what would make you do that? I've never, no one's ever done anything like that for me. And he simply said, I serve a God who did that for me. Who took the fall for me. Who didn't hold on to his power, but became powerless for me. And he said, so I'm just trying to show you what that is like. And so what Peter says in this passage uh, in verse 13 is that when that, in sorry, verse 12, when that happens, when that kind of thing happens and we show forth the beauty, the honorable conduct that is befitting a follower of Jesus, it says that others may glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, that means two different things. It may actually mean that people get converted and they come to know God in this way and they see Him as so beautiful that they want Him. They want to know what would make someone do that. And so that's one thing, and that's beautiful. But another thing that may mean is that it may just mean that it silences the voice of the critics. Look, even if that woman doesn't get converted, and she remains uh, in the darkness as an unchristian, as a non-Christian, she's not going to be able to go out and just rail against Christians as being the most worthless, judgmental people ever who just self-serve. She's not going to be able to do that. Because her experience of Christians had changed. And that is valuable. That is valuable. And so as you live in this life, in this world, on campus and beyond, if people around you, if your lifestyle isn't just bringing people to Jesus in droves, and people aren't just getting converted around you, that's okay. You can be encouraged that if nothing else, you are showing forth something of the beauty of God Himself by not trying to squeeze life out of this world by knowing that you can live for others, that you can submit yourself to other people, that you can take the fall for others, right? And so Peter then with that thought leads us into this talk about government, about Christians being subject to every human institution. Let's reread verses 13 through 15. I think you could follow them up here, at least 13. Um, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, we don't like this. We don't really like the idea of submitting to government because we all have our nuanced opinions about government and why government is bad and why, you know, whatever. Well, I'll say it this way. We actually like government in as far as it serves us. Right? We really do. You, you like government, even if you're an anarchist, you like certain aspects of government more than you even know. Because it provides protection. It provides um, a safe environment for you to live in. But we really just don't like government at the places that rub against kind of our own desires and inclinations, and the things that we've deemed wrong or whatever it may be. Scripture's clear, though, 
Romans 13 verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. No authority except from God. And those that, uh, sorry, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying that every single governing agency in the whole world is in place because God has put it in place. Every one of them. Even the ones that right now, and there are, there are many of them right now that we can look and see that are doing some things that are not so good, that are downright evil. Friends, that is not by accident, which brings us to some pretty hard questions about God Himself, and we can talk about those. I would love to talk about those things with you. Those are worthwhile things to wrestle through. But Paul and Peter here are saying that because all human institutions, governing authorities, emperors, kings, all of this stuff is under God's command, then we can submit to it. We can submit to it because by doing so, we're submitting to God Himself. We're submitting to God Himself. What's really interesting about this is that, think about the life of Jesus. When He was down uh, near the, I mean, at the end of His life, He was being tried by these various um, courts. The Jewish court was passing Him off to the Roman court and all this stuff. He goes to Pilate, and Pilate says, Jesus is not saying anything. He's not answering Pilate's questions. And Pilate, who was the, the Roman governor in that time in that area... He says, don't you know I have the authority to release you or to put you to death? And that actually made Jesus talk. He said, you have no authority except that which has been given to you by my Father in heaven. He looked at the governor and said, let's get one thing clear, buddy. Every bit of power that you have is from God himself. Now, with that being true, with Peter's mindset... That a Christian's primary citizenship is in heaven. That we have a dual citizenship if you're a Christian. But your primary citizenship is that you belong to the kingdom of God. And with that being true, that the, the government we have here is instituted by God. But friends, we're called to submit to that. We're called to live by the law of the land. And yes, you may not like certain aspects of that. Some of you hate that you can't drink beer until you're 21. I know it seems stupid and frivolous and doesn't like it doesn't mean anything. That's what the law says. I don't like the speed limit on many roads. I don't. Uh, my lifestyle would evidence that. And I call to submit to it. I am. I am. Do I do it well? I don't. And that's wrong. That's not something I take lightly. It's wrong. Think of it on, on so many different levels. And, and what Peter's saying is because it's true that God is sovereign over every governmental authority, then a Christian should submit, should submit, and not only that, should honor those who are in power over him or her. We're not only called to submit, but to honor also. So this means a few things um, for, uh, for you if you're a Christian. It means that you can find yourself in some difficult situations. Because think about if a government is asking you to do something that is clearly against God's law or what God has said is right and true, what should you do? Well, the Bible says your primary citizenship is in heaven, is to God. And so if the government is forcing you to do something that is against God's command or what God has said is best and the way we should live, 
then on that point alone, you submit to God ahead of the government. That doesn't mean that you get to just throw out the whole law and go do whatever you want. It's like, whoop, they really pissed me off here. I'm going to go do whatever I want. That's not what it means. This is actually a, a kind of a big deal in the news right now. I don't know if you've been watching, but with the, um, with the White House and the government right now, they've, they've ordered that all nonprofit agencies, and I'm not weighing in on my thoughts on this, I'm just telling you what's happening, but all nonprofit agencies have to provide, and that includes religious organizations, have to provide birth control for um, all their people free of charge. Right? They, have to even, they have to provide it. I'm free of charge, maybe or maybe not. They have to provide it. Now, the Catholic Church in the U.S. has taken, they've actually kind of pulled this card and like, look, we think that's against Scripture. We're not going down that line. So they're looking at the government saying, we're not going to follow you in that. That we're not going to do that. That has violated what they believe is the, the conscience of Scripture. And so they're not going to do that. A historical example, um, if you know much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, a German pastor in, during World War II, um, he broke from the German government when, when he absolutely could no longer stay in. The, the government had a church back then. He broke from them because the government started killing people. They started persecuting Jews, as you well know. And Bonhoeffer said, I can't be a part of that. I can't submit to that governing, ruling body anymore. Right? It had become against uh, what Scripture was saying. Now let's think about, from Peter's point of view, what's going on. A pastor friend of mine helped me think about this. Because Peter, the very last conversation he had with Jesus, Jesus had already risen from the dead. And he's talking to, to Jesus. Jesus and Peter are talking by the sea, and they're eating breakfast together. And Jesus is telling Peter, hey, go and feed my sheep. Go and pastor my flock, is what he's saying. Go and, go and care for the people. And then he looks, uh, Peter says some things, and then Jesus looks at Peter and says, you know what, in your youth, you traveled around, you were free to do whatever you wanted. But in the coming years, in the coming days, you will be stretched out. You will be stretched out on a cross, is what he was saying. He was looking at Peter and saying, you are going to be crucified, Peter. Just like I just was, you're going to be crucified too. Now, the only people who could crucify back in those days... Were the Roman was the government. Was the government. Because the Jewish ruling class, the, the people of the temple, they couldn't crucify, and that's why they actually had to hand Jesus over to the Roman government. Because the heaven forbid, the Bible actually said you can't crucify people like that. And so they had to give him to the Roman government. So when Jesus tells Peter, You're going to be crucified, Peter knows in the back of his mind, one day the Roman army, the Roman government, is going to crucify me. Now think about this. Rome, Rome was the governing authority in all of that land. And he was the governing authority to the people who, to whom Peter's writing in 1 Peter. Peter lived every one of his days from that point forward wondering, when he saw a Roman soldier, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one who kills me? Is this going to be the person who gets me? Every day from that conversation with Jesus forward, that would be a fairly weighty burden to carry Peter was still alive when he wrote this. He wrote it. Um, <laughs> obvious statement of the night. He's writing to these people and saying, submit to the government 
that I know is about to unjustly kill me. Nero, I don't know if you know anything about first century history, Nero came to power during Peter's life and began to kill Christians by the scores. I mean, you know, half the city of Rome burned down. Nero was, many think that he lit it himself, then he blamed it on the Christians so everyone would hate Christians and he could go persecute them. Peter's writing to the people who would have been alive during Nero's time and saying, submit to him. Because your identity, your life, your citizenship is not in this kingdom primarily. You can submit to this because your citizenship is in heaven. Peter's audacious statement to Christians regarding the government that would one day kill him is to submit to their rule, but not only that, to honor their rule. To follow them. Not just do it and be aggravated the whole time and to cause all these uprisings, but to honor the gumper, honor the emperor, he says at the end. To love it. Quickly, we begin to see why Peter reminds his writers of their status as sojourners and exiles. How else would he be able to say, submit to the government, if his readers aren't already thinking, this isn't our primary citizenship. And friends... Tonight, as we talk about government, in the coming weeks, as you think about submitting to people around you, to your bosses, to government, in marriage, all this stuff, this will never make sense if you're only living for this life. If you're trying to squeeze every bit of hope and joy and happiness out of the relationships and the institutions in this world, you will not do this. It doesn't make sense. But if the promise is one day, it will make sense. And you will be rewarded for your submission to God and therefore to these institutions. Then you will do it. God uses, and we have to get this. We have to, if we're ever going to submit to governments that we actually don't agree with. We have to get that God uses, at times uses governments that are doing evil things to bring forth His purposes. He does. God works through evil to bring about good. He's done it throughout history. We can read all about it in Scripture. He did it in the first century when this little Jewish upstart, this little Jewish rebel, tried to tell people that he was God and went around really undoing the whole religion of the temple as we talked about a few weeks ago. And God used an evil, corrupt government and trial to put His only Son to death. To have Him killed so that salvation might go to the ends of the earth. That God works through evil institutions to bring about good things. And friends, that should allow us to submit to the institutions around us. Peter says in a sermon in Acts 2.23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That it was God's plan to deliver Jesus unto death. In order for salvation to happen. He said, according to the definite plan of God, He then looks at the people and says, You crucified and killed Him. That both are true. God is sovereign and He is ruling. And yet, at the time and the very day that Jesus would have died, you would not have thought that. And you would have thought that evil was winning. But friends, in God's world, what appears to be evil, what appears to be triumphing, may not be so. It may not be so. So we can rejoice 
in that. We don't rejoice at the evil and at the injustice, but we rejoice because God is sovereign. He is in control. And He offers a citizenship to a bigger and better kingdom. A kingdom that is driven forth by love, by service, by giving up of your rights, of your, what, what you think you deserve, by laying it down for other people. So a couple applications for this um, before we go. If you're a Christian here tonight, I want you to think about these kind of take-home points. What should you do? If this is true, what are some things that you can do uh, when you leave here? The first one is simply this. Vote. Vote. We live in a country that is its beautiful in the sense that they allow us to have influence on what happens. And so if you're a Christian and you don't like what's going on out there in politics or whatever, guess what? Vote. Go say, I don't like this. I'm going to vote for this person. That's fine. But secondly, trust. Vote and then trust that no one gets elected against God's will. That there are no accidents in power right now. That God is sovereign. He is ruling over that. He knows what He's doing even when we don't. And for some of us, thirdly, we need to repent. We need to look deep at our hearts in our own dissatisfaction with government, with our rulers, some of us with the president. And we look deep at our heart and repent that we have been looking for this government to give us something it can never give us. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but at least in the U.S., the political parties don't quite line up with the kingdom of God too well. So if you're a Christian, you're going to find yourself in a lot of tension. Because on some points, you're going to be thinking, yes, I'm a Republican on these things. I'm conservative. But yet on other things, you're going to be thinking, man... I'm I'm more liberal on this. And so we have to live in this tension. And we have to, for some of us, repent of thinking that the governments and the institutions in this world can really give us what we ultimately want and need. They can't. They are God's underlings. The way that He is working in this world, He's using these things. But they are not God's kingdom. They're not. They will disappoint us. In the first century, the early church, people said that Christians were the weirdest of all people. Because they were conservative with their bodies. They weren't just out having wanton sex with whoever. They weren't giving themselves to whatever. They weren't, they weren't serving the, the temple prostitutes and giving into that. They were conservative with their bodies. But they were liberal with their money. They gave away all sorts of things. They gave everything they had, is what Acts 2 says, for the good of each other. And so if you find yourself in political situations in an inner turmoil and tension... That's probably right. That's probably right. And you shouldn't baptize any candidate or any political party as being God's person. Because we just don't know. We don't know. And in some ways, guess what? They're probably not. So if you're a Christian, let your conduct and let your submission be of such a nature that those around you see the beauty of Christ in you. If they see the beauty of God Himself who is flowing out through you, who allows you to not hold on to everything in this life, but to give it up. Because guess what? Jesus Himself did not come to this life and hold on to His power. And hold on to His reputation. He came not to serve, 
Not to be served, but to serve. And he submitted, think about this, he submitted himself to the very government that he knew would kill him. He gladly submitted to it. He did. That should be something of the nature that we move out into the world with. Now, if you're not a Christian, when we talk about submission, the idea of submission is certainly not the most uh, sexy thing we can bring to the table. It's not the most attractive thought. Like, hey, let's just go submit. That's really fun. Um, Because it's often difficult because as you look around at the institutions, you look around at politicians and anybody in power, we don't see a lot of people who are worth following. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of dishonesty. There's a lot of injustice, greed, and all of these things. And so I'm simply going to ask you, don't just, not to submit to them first, but to submit to a God who is love embodied, who is truth embodied, who is not unjust, but came to fight injustice in the person of Jesus, who spent time with the poor and the oppressed, who spent time with the marginalized of society, and who gave of himself fully, ultimately to the point of death, to show that the way forward in that kingdom is not through power and advancement. It is through service. And so if you come to God, know that you're coming to a God who is not asking you to do things for Him, but who is saying, I want to do something for you. Let me serve you. Let me give you my Son, Jesus, to take your sin from you. And friends, if you ever think about the gospel of Christianity of being about things that you do for God, I want to tell you again, it's not. It's about something that God has done for you. So would you come to that? Would you come to Him and receive that? He came to serve you. And you can submit to Him because He loves you. Let's pray.